Welcome to CT Church. This message was recorded during our Sunday service. We hope you enjoy this presentation. This is Christmas time. We kick off the Christmas season. So what we're talking about is when Jesus first showed up, right? Scientists tell us uh, that for those of us that live north of the equator, the longest night of the year is December 21st, the winter solstice. But you ask any kid, any kid would tell you, no, that is not the longest night of the year. The longest night of the year is what? Christmas Eve, three days later. That's the longest night of the year. Man, you lay there all night long just, you know, thinking about what the morning holds. Or you're, you're listening for a little deer hoof prints running around the roof, whatever. You're just, you can't get to sleep. That's the longest night of the year. But people always refer to this as Christmas time, right? It's Christmas time. The question that I posed this morning is, what time is Christmas? What time is Christmas? The Bible says that everything that happens in the world happens exactly in the timing that God chooses. It tells us that very famously in the book of Ecclesiastes, a lot of other places. But what time is Christmas? The Bible says that God specifically chose the time when Jesus would come to earth. It was no accident. In history, the course of history, he specifically chose that time, that day, for Jesus to come into this world. Galatians 4, 4 through 5 says this, When the right time came and the time God decided on, he sent his son, born of a woman, so that he could adopt us as his very own children. God waited until just the right time to send Jesus into our world. So the question is, what time is Christmas? And I think that the answer to that question is found in the four statements that the angel made to the shepherds on that very first Christmas Eve. There's four things the angel said that we're to do at Christmas time. Here they are, and we're going to talk about each one. One, Christmas is time to release our fears. Secondly, Christmas is time to renew our faith. Third, Christmas is time to receive forgiveness. And fourth, Christmas is time to build relationships. Well, let's start with that first one. Christmas is time to release my fear. Everybody seems to be worried or afraid of something today. Worrying about what is it you're worried about? The economy, your health, bills, your kids, the Lord returning. A lot of people fear the Lord returning. And let me say this, if you have fear of the Lord returning, that's usually a very good indicator something's not right in your relationship with God. Because we certainly, of all the things there are to fear, we certainly as Christians shouldn't, shouldn't live in fear of the Lord coming back because that's when everything starts to get good. We get out of all this mess that we're living in down here on planet Earth. Everything gets great at that point. Why would we fear that? So the first thing the angel said when the, he showed up on the scene, there's those shepherds abiding in the field, right? says, don't be afraid. Luke 2.10, an angel appeared to the shepherds and they were terrified. But the angel said, do not be afraid. Did you know that from Genesis to Revelation, 
all throughout God's Word, there are 365 fear nots. I doubt if that's a coincidence. There is a fear not for every day of the year. Isn't that amazing? God is saying, look, you need to get the message, stop living in fear. It's very interesting, though, that almost every time God spoke to someone in the Bible, and even today for the most part, the first thing he always has to say is, don't be afraid. And I think the reason that is, is just there's a lot of people that kind of live in fear of God. If you're talking in a conversation with someone, you bring up God, I mean, most of the time people tense up right now. They get all nervous. And with just mentioning the Lord or mentioning Jesus, and I think the reason is, secretly, a lot of people have a fear of God. But in reality, their fear is a fear of justice. The hammer's going to fall at some point. And I tell you, we need to have a right relationship with God when that day comes. Amen? But God says, especially at Christmas time, don't be afraid. There's a lot of things to fear or worry about in the world, isn't there? With a few, you could almost describe life as going from one set of problems to another with a few moments of joy and happiness in between. How many ever feel that's kind of what life is? It's just this issue, then to that issue, then to this issue. But aren't you thankful for the moments of joy and happiness that he does give us to just keep us holding on? But life is, is going to change drastically when he returns. I tell you, it's going to be good times all the time. Who's ready for that? That sounds pretty good, doesn't it? So God is saying it's time to release your fears. If you're saying that you really do believe in me and have accepted me as Lord and Savior, you really don't have a reason to be living in fear. You're living in hypocrisy if you claim to be a Christian, but you always live in fear because the two don't go together. He releases us from fear. Let him do that in your life. Secondly, Christmas time is a time to renew our faith. The reality of Christmas, it doesn't have anything to do with Rudolph or Santa or Frosty or Scrooge or Charlie Brown's Christmas or the Grinch's Christmas or anybody else's Christmas. It has to do, the reality of Christmas is Jesus Christ. Amen? Luke 2.10, I bring you the most joyful news ever announced, and it is for everyone. Well, that's a pretty bold statement right there. I bring you the most joyful, or in other words, the greatest news ever announced. That's a big deal. That those two words, joyful news, in the Greek, those two words translate to the good news, which means the gospel. That's where we get the gospel. It means the good news that Jesus brought to planet Earth. Fantastic news. Christmas is a time of incredible news. One of the big problems within the church today, and when I say the church, I don't just mean our church, I mean the church worldwide is that the big problem is that you and I, the church, has this incredible news, but sometimes the church just keeps it a secret. And before you say, yeah, well, those are no good churches, who is the church? We're the church. 
You and I, we're the church, and son, we've got this incredible news, but sometimes we act like it's our little secret to keep to ourselves. That's not how it needs to work. We've got the greatest news in the world. We should always be excited to share it with people we come in contact with. And here's, here's the even better part. The good news just keeps getting better and better. You know why? Because the bad news keeps getting worse and worse. And it just makes the good news look better and better and better every day. Amen? I mean, the contrast between what we see and hear on TV and what we should be hearing and seeing in our churches and as we read His Word, that should be drastically different. The good news keeps getting better and better. And since we're on this subject, let's just kind of quantify what is the good news. We talk, He brings us, I bring you good news. What is the good news? I broke it down into three categories here. Here's, here's the good news. The first part of the good news is that you matter to God. God knows everything about you. Some people are thankful for that. Some people, it makes them a little nervous. But the truth is, He knows everything about you. He knows the good, the bad, and the ugly. Let me see your hand if you actually got that musical reference. Oh, that's good. Most of you. The rest of you, you figure it out. We are important to God. He cares about us even though He knows everything about us. That's a big deal, don't you think? How many times have we experienced meeting someone and, you know, we really like them, we're getting along, but the more we get to know them, the harder it is to maintain this relationship. Everybody's met someone like that, right? Well, that's God's relationship every day with all of us. I mean, the, the better He gets to know us, you know, sometimes the harder it is, but thank God He still loves us in spite of ourselves. Aren't you thankful for that? He already know we can't hide anything from God. Sometimes we think we're so clever and crafty, we hide things from God. Well, we can hide things from people. That's easy. You know, you don't, don't feel proud of yourself because, you know, you're leading this secret life and you've got everyone fooled. Because scientists have proved that the average human operates using only 10% of their total brain capacity. Did you know that? The average person only uses 10% of their brain capacity, which means most of us are operating at a 90% brain deficiency. We're not that smart. We're not that easy to fool. We're not that hard to fool. So we, well, we can fool everybody around us, but we're never fooling God. He always knows everything we're up to, whether it's good or bad. He knows about it. But we matter to him. Aren't you thankful for that? He loves us even though He knows everything about us. Here's the second part of the good news. You are not an accident. How many have ever heard in your life from your parents, well, actually, you know, you were kind of an accident. <laughs> I've always thought, what does that mean? I mean, I think we all know what's going on here. This was an accident? Yeah, well, you people are the most careless people on the face of the planet. If I'm an accident. I don't want to go into anatomy here or... Get anybody weird, but just, you know, none of us are accidents. We were all sent here with purpose <laughs> and intent. That's all I'll say. 
None of us were made by accident. God has a very specific plan for each of our lives, right? We might have been unexpected, but we weren't an accident. Meaning and satisfaction in our lives, that only comes when we discover God's real purpose for our life, and then we are obedient to just jump right into the middle of that. You know, when we get this, you get this feeling that, yep, this is it. This is what I was made to be and do. This is my niche. It's what I was created for, and it just feels right. That's when you feel that, you know you are in the center of God's will for your life. You weren't an accident. You're all here on purpose, with purpose. Amen? And thirdly, the third part of the good news is that God wants, He wants you to know Him as well as He knows you. You know, we just established he knows everything about us. It's just that sometimes, or a lot of times, we don't know everything about him. He wanted you to know him, so he sent his son Jesus Christ into this world so that you could know what God is like. God wanted to be able to relate to us. You know, if God had wanted to relate to the birds, he would have showed up as a bird. If he'd wanted to communicate with the cows, he'd have showed up as a cow. But no, he wanted to relate to us, and he showed up as a human. You know, sometimes this ruffles the feathers of some of the Star Wars addicts, is what I call them. I've seen all the Star Wars movies. I enjoy the Star Wars movies, but I don't put a ton of stock into them. I don't have the foggiest idea still after seeing all of these movies. I don't have the foggiest idea what it means to be one with the Force. What exactly does that mean? You know, this, this very impersonal power, you know, it's kind of in this guy. One with the four. I don't know what it means. But I can tell you this. When I know that Jesus came to earth in human form, we can see that example and we can say, that's what God is like. That I understand. He came in person so that we could understand more about him. So Jesus came to earth so we can know what, what he's like. He brings to us this good news, this incredible news. God wants you to know him, and God's gift to you is this very personal relationship. God is like Hallmark. He cared enough to send the very best. Isn't that great? Maybe Hallmark stole his, his motto. He didn't send an angel, didn't send Moses or Abraham. I mean, he came himself in human form. And that angel said, I bring you good news, and it is for who? Everybody. He doesn't care if your background's Catholic, Muslim, Jewish, Presbyterian, Buddhist, Assembly of God, Baptist, Lutheran, doesn't care. Doesn't care anything about our religious background. He didn't come to give us religion. He came to give us a relationship with Him. That's what it all comes down to. Christmas is not a religion. Christmas is God saying, I want to relate to you and I want you to be able to relate to me. I want, to know, I want you to know me as well as I know you. So Christmas is a time to release fears that we might have. It's a time to renew our faith. And thirdly, Christmas is a time to receive forgiveness. 
You know, every day of the year is a great time to receive forgiveness, but there's something special about Jesus coming into this world for the sole purpose of offering us forgiveness of our sins by just calling upon his name. You know, the third thing that the angel said in Luke 2.11 said, Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born for you. He is Christ the Lord. Two important things in that one sentence. Notice that word Savior. Today in the town of David, a Savior. We all needed a Savior. People, everyone needs a Savior whether they know it or not. A Savior was born for us and there's one important Savior. Jesus Christ. God didn't send us a salesman. We didn't need any particular product. He didn't send us a politician. We didn't need diplomacy or corruption. Got had plenty of that already. He didn't send us a soldier. It wasn't a battle that we were in the midst of at that point. He didn't send us a scientist because it wasn't just knowledge and information that we needed. He sent us a savior because you and I and everybody else need a savior. If we didn't need a Savior, God would not have wasted His time sending us one. God sent a Savior so we could receive forgiveness. We could be saved from our sins. Saved from ourselves, so to speak. You know, a lot of time, if it comes up in conversation, you may ask someone, are you saved? And if they haven't been to church and they don't know all the church lingo, they think this is a very odd question. Am I saved? Am I saved from what? What are you talking about? No, I think I'm, I'm, okay. I'm fine. You know, why are you saying I need a Savior? Here's the answer to that question. Why would I need a Savior? The Bible says that heaven is a very completely perfect place. Have you read that? Heaven is perfect. Well... There's no sin in heaven. There's no suffering in heaven. There's no pain in heaven. There's no sorrow in heaven. Who's ready for heaven? Doesn't that sound great? It is a perfect place. Now, all of us are imperfect people, aren't we? Anyone here bold enough to raise your hand and say, I'm perfect? We got anybody, any perfect people here today? Nope, we're all together in this. We're all imperfect people, aren't we? Let me ask you this. What happens when imperfection enters into a state that was, that had perfection? Is it still perfection at that point? Once imperfection has entered in, it ceases to be perfect, doesn't it? Therefore, since heaven is a perfect place, the only people that get to go there are perfect people. We've got a problem, don't we? We've got a big problem, if that's the case. And that is the case. I mean, you may be a good, you may be a great person. But the Bible never says, oh, great people will go to heaven. The Bible's telling us it's a, perf it's a place of perfection. People are going to have to be perfected to get there. Not imperfect, perfect. And none of us measure up. I don't, you know, if you're Mother Teresa, you're not good enough. 
And contrary to what some people tend to believe, sadly, because it's kind of a message I hear being preached at times from pulpits across America, in big churches even. And that message tends to sound like, hey, don't worry, God's going to grade on the curve. Now, just be a pretty good person. I'm telling you, none of us are ever going to hear from God, well, you're not perfect, but you're a lot better than some of those other people, so come on in. I'm telling you, none of us are ever going to hear that because God doesn't grade on the curve. So we've all got, we all have this big problem. Here's this perfect place and none of us are perfect. So God creates plan B, so to speak. And he comes to earth in the form of Jesus who is perfect. He was perfect. He is perfect. And he says, you can get to heaven on my ticket. Boy, that was big news. I can't get to heaven on my own ticket. It's never going to be good enough. But God says, I'm going to be your savior. I'm going to be your ticket to ride. The problem with so many people is they've got a ticket to ride, but they just don't care. You caught the musical reference, didn't you? Thank you, Richard. Uh, at least one person got that. I kind of slipped it in there. If you didn't get it, once again, I'm sorry. But that's what it's like, really. People live their lives. God's offering, us, offering each of us this ticket to ride, and sometimes we just act like, well, we don't care. So the question needs to be, how do I let Christ save me? How do I let him save me? It's really so simple. All we have to do is just admit that we do, in fact, need a Savior, and we have faith and believe that Jesus is that Savior. Sometimes it's hard for people to admit that because it kind of hurts their pride. Well, sometimes we like to think, well, hey, I'm, I'm a good person. I'm good enough on my own. Well, you may be pretty good, but I'm telling you, you're not good enough. You're not perfect. It's admitting to God that I need a Savior. I need your help or I'm not going to make it. That's how you make him your Savior, admitting that you believe who he says he is and that you ask him into your life. We all need a Savior. Sometimes in our life, we look for people to be our Savior in all kinds of weird ways. My wife, Janet, beautiful wife, she often needs a savior, not just any kind of savior, a bug savior. Sometimes I'll hear this loud shriek from somewhere in the house. Immediately I know my wife is under some brutal attack from a vicious bug. And I will be called upon and I, I go to her and I kill the offending enemy. That's right. I am a bug murderer. Killed many in my day. I specialize in arachnids, but you know, once, in a while, once in a while it's a six-legged creature. Makes no difference. We all come to the point in our life, we have to come to that point where we realize we do in fact need a Savior, but there's only one that counts. We need Jesus Christ to be that Savior. You can learn a lot from watching a lifeguard or going through lifeguard training. Here's something that's very interesting that every lifeguard is taught. They are taught, first and foremost, you can never save anybody who's busy trying to save themselves. Maybe you see where we're going with this. 
If you've ever watched a lifeguard at the beach or in a pool or when somebody's drowning and they're just flailing about trying to save themselves, that lifeguard will swim out near them, but they'll keep a few feet away until that person has just worn themselves flat out. And they've stopped flailing around, they've stopped trying to save themselves, and they're just about that far from cashing it in. That's when the lifeguard will come in, just put their arm under the shoulder and just paddle them back to shore. Because they know you try to go rescue somebody who is panicking and trying to save themselves and they will just pull you down with them. You've got to wait until they stop trying to save themselves before you can save them. And that's kind of how God operates in our life. God can't save us until we stop trying to save ourselves. You can't have Christ as your Savior until you quit trying to get to heaven on your own efforts. Just relax and, and say, God, I realize I don't deserve your grace. I don't deserve your forgiveness, but I cast myself on your mercy. And God just says, man, that's what I've been waiting to hear. You're forgiven. He's always ready and waiting to offer us that forgiveness. John 3, 16 and 17, For God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever should believe in Him would not perish, but have everlasting life. And then that next sentence, God didn't send His Son into the world to condemn it, but to save it. Not to condemn, but to save. Jesus came to resolve our guilt and our shame and our sin. He didn't come to condemn anyone, any of us. He came to change us. He didn't come to scare you, but He came to save you. You know, one of the big problems that some people have is they've got all these feelings of guilt due to things that they've done in their past, and they just don't feel like they could ever be saved, ever be forgiven. They just can't seem to shake it. They try all sorts of ways to rid themselves of, of guilt. They buy books. They, they get involved in a 12-step program. They pay out a lot of money to counselors. They do all these things, but oftentimes the guilt is still hanging around and rolling around up there. They just can't seem to shake it. And the problem is that none of those solutions have the true power to forgive. Maybe they can help in certain ways, but I'm telling you where the rubber meets the road, the end result is only going to happen when you go to God and you ask Him to forgive. And that only God can forgive sin and only God can really give us a clear conscience. Nothing, no book's going to do that. No 12-step program is going to do that. God is the only one who has the power to do it. Otherwise, we're living in all this guilt and it just tears us up. I used to love watching those old Columbo movies. How many of you old enough to remember Columbo? That was one of my favorite detective shows. And this one Columbo movie in particular, Johnny Cash was in this episode. He was the bad guy, of course. And at the, at the closing line, as the show was ending, Columbo caught him, you know, and Johnny Cash said, man, I'm glad you caught me because the guilt was killing me. And I think we've all experienced similar things in our life. God says, I came to give you forgiveness. So at Christmas, it's time to receive forgiveness. That's the good news, amen? That's good news. That's the purpose of the church. We're not here to condemn people. We're here to share good news with people. 
You know, in the 20 years I've been preaching, there have been a few times where people have come to me and said, Pastor Doug, you're a good guy, but I tell you, you just don't, you don't preach hard enough. You know, not enough hell, fire, and brimstone. And my response is always kind of the same. You know, I'm not trying to scare or condemn anyone. I'm just trying to share the good news in a way that will sound more appealing than to continue living according to the bad news. That's what my goal is. Just let you know up front here. I'm not trying to scare anybody, although once in a while a good scare might be what some people need. And if you've got your eyes open to what's going on in the world, there should be plenty of things to scare you into living for the Lord. I shouldn't have to do it. There's enough going on without me adding to the list. I feel it's my job to share the good news that, hey, there's a way out of this rat race. There's a way out of this big old mess that we're in down here on earth. And it's coming quickly, I believe. And there's just not much time left to be fooling around, putting it off. Or the Lord's going to come back and people are going to be saying, man, I should have accepted Jesus that Sunday, December 1st when I was sitting in church. Had that opportunity. Every time you're in church and you need a relationship with God, that's a God-given opportunity. Lastly, Christmas is time to build relationships. It's a time of reconciliation. Luke 2.14, the angel, or it was said, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill toward who? Toward men, toward each other. We should be living in peace with goodwill toward each other. God not only wants to have peace, wants us to have peace with Him, God wants us to have peace with the people that we live with, the people around us. I always loved Peanuts, the comic strip Peanuts. I've got that up there, I think. I don't know if you can read it, but this is one I love. Lucy says to Charlie Brown, Charlie Brown, it's Christmas season. I think we ought to bury our differences. Forgive each other and try to be kind and get along. Charlie Brown says, great, but why just this season? Why not all year? Lucy says, what are you, some kind of fanatic or something? The truth is, we all need to be fanatics. It shouldn't be just at Christmas time. We should be fanatical about this. What's sad is that the Christmas season, a time meant for peace and harmony, sometimes it'll evoke conflict in people's lives more than harmony. People deal with all sorts of psychologists say that the Christmas season is the toughest on those who suffer with depression and things. You know, maybe you have to deal with relatives that drive you crazy. Anybody here have any of those relatives? You don't have to raise your hand. Let's see, some of you did. Most families do. There can be all kinds of things going on. Jealousy, grudges, resentment, misunderstanding. Most of us, you know, we've got families. We've got family people somewhere in the tree that the elevator didn't go quite all the way to the top. We've got to deal with in a loving and Christ-like manner. Everyone's laughing because you've all got that one special relative, don't you? I won't go into a long story, but we had ours. I'll tell you, we, well, we had a few, but uh, <laughs> my dad's brother, my Uncle Bob, his wife was named Dovey. 
Dovey was one of those ladies that in the middle of July you might see pushing a shopping cart down the main street of Peoria with a big fur coat on. Or you might see her in the middle of winter with that same shopping cart wearing a sleeveless top. Some crazy people can't tell what the weather's like for some reason. And we'd see her, Dovey. She had a twin sister, Lovey. You think I'm making this up? Lovey and Dovey. Dovey was completely normal as far as we all know, but Dovey, but Dovey had, she had some issues. One time my Uncle Bob came home, opened the door, there was a double barrel shotgun staring right down his eyeballs, and he went running in through the living room. She blew the corner of the kitchen table off. And then we didn't see Dovey for a few years. But she was still around. We've all got, we've all got those special relatives you got to learn how to deal with. Who do you need to reach out to this Christmas? Who, who do you need to maybe write a letter to, make a call to? Who do, you, who do you need to offer some forgiveness to? Or, heaven forbid, who do you need to ask for, for some forgiveness from to restore and rebuild relationships? The Bible gives us the key to happy relationships in 1 John 1.7. It says, if we are living in the light of God's presence, just as Christ does, then we have wonderful fellowship and joy with each other. What's the key to having wonderful fellowship and joy with each other? It's living in the light of God's presence. So if you've got a problem with a bunch of people, you need to read this and realize that, hey, the problem might be right here. Because this kind of turns everything back to us. When Christ is in me, and Christ is in you. Christ is never going to argue with Christ, right? Did you catch that? You'll never catch Christ arguing with Christ. We're never going to have true peace on earth until uh, the Prince of Peace is part of our life. That's where it starts. Especially here at Christmas time, God tells us, rebuild those relationships. You know, each of us came here into church this morning for a different reason. Some of you came because maybe a friend invited you. Some of you might have come because you saw our ad in the newspaper, if anybody still reads the newspaper. Some of you came because you wanted to, and some of you came because maybe somebody dragged you here. Whatever the case is, I can promise you this, you're not here by accident. You're not here by accident. God brought you here this morning for a purpose. He brought you here to say this to you. Don't waste this Christmas. It's time. It's time to make sure you have that relationship with me. It's time to release the fear that you've been struggling with. Let it go. Just give it, lay it at my feet and see if I don't take care of it for you. It's time to renew your faith. This good news, God saying, I love you, I made you, you matter to me, I want you to know me, that's good news. It's time to receive forgiveness. Unto you is born what? A Savior. He came to save us. So, why don't you start by establishing this most important relationship the one between you and God. You know, ultimately, Christmas is a time for people to meet Christ. That's why we call it Christmas. Christ came into the world so we could meet Him. 
How crazy is it that so many people this year will celebrate Christmas without even knowing the one that they're really celebrating? That's completely illogical, but it happens a lot. This Christmas would be a great time to come home, so to speak. Come home to Christ. Maybe you've been thinking about it. It's been rolling around there. You haven't made a decision yet. You've been living apart from Christ. It's, it's frustrating. You're out of energy. You're out of ideas. Now is the time to come home. That's what God is saying to you. Come back home to me at this Christmas time. Let Jesus be your Savior. Accept this gift of forgiveness that I have for you. You know, have you, has anybody ever wondered why we refer to the wise men as wise? What they did that we call them the wise men? Here's the, the only thing they did that they got this nomenclature was they sought, God, they sought Christ. I tell you, they were bent on finding Jesus Christ. They were going to seek until they found him and nothing was going to stop them. And that made them wise. How many of you want to be wise? We have to be seekers to really be called wise. If you're a seeker this morning, I invite you to seek Christ. You have been listening to CT Church in San Antonio, Texas. This recording was presented in the context of our Sunday service. For more information, please visit us at ctagsa.com Connect with us on Facebook or call us at 210-657-3578.